It is the 200 level episode 127 for Chris' sake, which I've had that in my back pocket for a while. I guess depending on how the game went on Friday, that might have been it, but I thought Crap Randall was maybe a better title for the post-game pod last Friday. And as we sit here on a Wednesday, I'm recording this during my lunch hour and thinking, oh boy, it's starting. Paul Christ, the coach of Wisconsin, six coaches, or six coaches and staff, I should say, six players have COVID-19, and they are canceling their game against Nebraska. And keep in mind the way the schedule is set out, they will not be making that game up, right? So that that's over. They are at least one game down, and I think the earliest Paul Chris could return would be next Friday. He has 10 days of isolation. Keep in mind the actual players themselves is 21 days. So Graham Mertz would not be back for another three weeks. But unfortunately, we are seeing worst-case scenario for one of the better teams in the Big Ten, one that I guess had an outside shot at the college football playoff, or at the very least, you know, competing for the Big Ten title against Ohio State in that Week 9 matchup. Instead, here we are with a cancellation just over a week into the Big Ten season. And I, I don't know if there's, you know, unintentional humor to be found here. The fact that Illinois, of course, was the team that got smoked by Wisconsin days before Wisconsin's season is now in peril. Or the fact that Illinois, <laughs> think about this. This school and this athletic department, to to their credit, to their credit, has done a better job than any Big Ten school of controlling COVID-19. Wisconsin, arguably, has done the worst job. And yet, when it comes to competence on the football field, it is a completely different thing. A complete 180, Wisconsin kicked your butt. I don't know. I'm racking my brain here and trying to remain kind of lighthearted about what is a serious situation. You know, and not just because Wisconsin and their football team won't play a game on Saturday against Nebraska. But also because the state of Wisconsin is a mess, and that our country is kind of a mess right now, too. I don't know how social or political we'll get in this episode, because fortunately we still have some football games to talk about, but it does raise that question that we've asked quite a bit on this show, as big as sports fans as we are, and as happy as I am to talk about what's going on in between the lines of a field or a court, it does raise those questions again of whether or not we should be playing in the first place. And regardless of all that, (laughs) regardless of where you stand on the COVID-19 thing, which I don't know how this became such a hot button debate, but regardless of where you stand on the COVID-19 thing, this is kind of an embarrassment for Big Ten football, a a conference that I felt confident was going to be able to carry this through better than any other conference. And they might still do that, right? Maybe they do. Maybe this is the one hiccup in the road. But unfortunately, it also seems that just as Big Ten football is getting started, the country as a whole is getting worse, and some Midwestern states in particular are doing very very poorly with this right now. So who's next? You know, Sadly, that's the question. After Wisconsin, who is the next program that will be affected by this and have to cancel a game? And from an Illini fan's perspective, feeling pretty confident like we'll hold up our end of the bargain, but which one of our opponents is going to come down with an outbreak, and then all of a sudden we're going to have a weekend without an Illinois football game. Now, if it's anything like the Illinois-Wisconsin game, that might be a merciful break from watching bad football. But all that said, I still want to watch Illinois on weekends. I think we get that chance on Saturday. So far, so good. No COVID uh, cases for Lovey and his team, at least according to Kemp Brown and Lovey himself. So somehow we get out of, uh, I bet said crap, Randall. Somehow we get out of Camp Randall without any COVID-19 cases against a team that unfortunately is dealing with an outbreak. Lots to talk about today, including a game on Saturday against Purdue, 
a winnable game for sure. Rondale Moore, maybe he will play, maybe he won't, has not been practicing this week. And one that could make us, I guess, rather quickly forget about the Wisconsin game. But what do we need to see on Saturday in order to feel better about the direction that this team is going and really about the prospects of Levy long-term in Illinois? Lots to get into. Before we do, a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com. Great deal going on. Go to dpdo.com, use coupon code Mike, that's it, M-I-K-E, and you get $5 calzones, which if you know DPDO and how filling these calzones are, they stuff these things full of goodness. $5 calzones, that is a ridiculous deal. And not only that, you can get a $6 premium or construction zone, and those things are super loaded. So go to dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. And in fact, Saturday, 11 a.m. kick, maybe you order it for lunch. Order it for halftime. Use coupon code Mike for $5 calzones at dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Kirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your order and all year round. Buy two t-shirts, get one free. I sported the big guy football t-shirt on Friday night. And even though the game didn't go well, I think that's my football t-shirt. Also, there is a really cool crew neck, navy crew neck sweatshirt with the orange script Illinois font from last year's basketball jerseys. That is next in my shopping list. Go to 4thandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level at 4thandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. No coupon code for that, but I will give you the personal CARP guarantee that you will be pleased with what Brian Hansen and his staff at State Farm will do for you. Now, we know State Farm been around forever. You know that the prices are going to be good, but when it comes to service, that is where Brian and his staff are cut above the rest. And not only that, they have your local interest at heart. They're all from East Central Illinois, from the Champaign-Urbana area. And as we made our move, it was as seamless as it could be getting homeowners and auto in a nice bundle from State Farm and Brian Hansen. You're a State Farm agent at brianismyguy.com. Alani Inquirer, online at alaniinquirer.com and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. Those are the formalities out of the way. Got to appreciate a few no, uh, new reviews that we got on iTunes. And the ratings and reviews are helping big time. We're getting some new listeners, according to our Podbean statistics, getting people that have not listened before. And that's simply resolved the people searching for Illini and finding our podcast. So to help us out, leave a rating or a review. I know Apple has that function. Not sure about Spotify or Stitcher, but most of our listeners a plurality of them, at least, listen to us via Apple Podcasts. So that's a big help, and we appreciate the kind words. Super Smash Brothers, really nice review that you left last week, and I appreciate all those comments, even the negative ones. Even if you're hate listening, that's okay with me. All right, I think that's it for the um, the formalities at the beginning of an episode. And as I woke up this morning, it felt like this was just going to be a quick little Purdue preview, so to speak. And then right around mid-morning, the news comes out that Wisconsin has 12 cases, six players, six coaches and staff, including head coach Paul Christ and, of course, quarterback Graham Mertz. That's where Wisconsin's at. Now, as we try to navigate through this nine-week Big Ten schedule, this is not going to be the only hiccup, but unfortunately, it is a major hiccup. This is not Rutgers. This is not Maryland. Actually, no offense to Rutgers. They look pretty good Saturday. But should I say this is no Maryland or even Illinois? Because if that were to happen, how many Big Ten fans would really care? Just being honest. But Wisconsin is a big deal. You know, this is a team that was favored to win the Big Ten West. And now we're already dealing with the possibility. And this is the sports perspective. I'll get to the COVID-19 larger issue at hand in a bit. But 
from just a sports perspective, you're looking at now a compromised season where the best team in the Big Ten West may not win it because they don't play enough games. How that looks, I don't know. But you aren't making these up, right? This is not going to be anything like it was for baseball season where they could do a bunch of doubleheaders and, and somehow the Cardinals, despite losing, what, 10 days or something like that, made those games up. That is not possible here. I didn't think that was going to be such a big deal back when the Big Ten announced their revised schedule, when they had all the protocols in place and they had more testing than any other conference. And it felt like, well, wait a second, maybe the delay is going to serve them well. But one thing they could not have counted on is the fact that their delayed start would coincide with the highest case numbers so far in this pandemic. Numbers that are making the summer look like, ah, the good old days. Remember back in July when we were getting, what, 70,000 cases a day? Well, it's getting worse. And as everyone moves indoors, as we get into the holiday season and people just sort of flout what we're being told we should or maybe shouldn't do, having gatherings, all that, this is going to get worse. It's getting worse in Champaign. And oddly enough, it's not the students that are making it worse. It's, it's the you know, community in general. The students are holding up their end of the bargain. And I know that the rapid testing and doing it twice a week helps for them and keeping it under control, but it is getting worse here in Champaign. And that's a scary thing is elementary schools are opening up to, uh, to about half capacity and you're starting to see things, what resume to normal. And yet, well, should we be getting back to normal? So with the football game in town on Saturday and this Illinois team that apparently has no positive cases, right? That's great news. No positive cases and Purdue coming in town and apparently no positive cases for them other than Brom and that test that he had. He will be back on Saturday. It's hard not to wonder when is this going to have an impact on this Illinois football team. Again, not necessarily anything that they do, but knowing that you have eight games left in this schedule, that ninth game against whoever it is at the Big Ten East, and as you navigate these weeks, something is inevitably going to happen to one of your opponents. And not to get too confident here, maybe something could happen for Illinois' roster as well, and then before you know it, you got six or seven guys, and then they just shut it down. It's tenuous at best, and it's a bummer. From a sports perspective, this is a bummer because we were so excited to just get back to Big Ten football, and now we have it, and it was fun to watch it. But unfortunately, it might be fleeting, right? Or it could be just like we've seen in the NFL. Well, there's a game canceled here or a game postponed until Tuesday. I don't know if the Big Ten's going to have any leeway like that. But let's say 90% of the games are played, right? And we've already kind of come into the season acknowledging that it's not going to be normal and that it's not going to feel like most seasons and that maybe by the end of it, you won't have a great feeling about, well, that was the Big Ten West champion. That was the Big Ten East. We knew these caveats could occur. I just didn't anticipate it happening so soon. You know, like I thought there'd be a grace period here where we get a month into the Big Ten season. Oh boy. And then in mid-November, something happens here. Something happens there. No, this is immediate. And it was your previous opponent. And I think as an Illini fan, that's where it is especially fresh and a little too close to home where you're thinking, okay, we just played this embarrassment of a game on Friday night against a very good team. And they can't even keep their house in order up there, right? They can't even do it. And then all of a sudden they got 12 cases in a state that is just a total wreck right now. And Madison as a community, a total wreck with COVID-19 where they're finding hospitalizations are up. They're finding hospital beds, capacity. It's getting close. It's a scary place to be. All of that. And you lump that in with, well, something big is happening in six days, right? 
we got that election in six days. And you know me, I've broached it before, but always try to do so not so much in a partisan way, but basically just letting you know my feelings on Donald Trump. You're pretty well aware of that. But there is this sort of pit in the stomach feeling when you combine the element of, okay, am, are my sports teams going to be able to play their games, right? For the sports fan in me, like the, the uh, angel and the demon on the left side and the right side of your shoulders. The sports side of it is saying, okay, are we going to get these games in? And then the other side of it, which has to do with like social, political, like the larger issues going on in our world today is saying, oh my God, are we going to make it through this winter without it getting really bad? And it's a dark place to be. It's a place that I didn't think we'd be to this extent. And I don't think many people did, but it just seems like as a country, I mean, you take Wisconsin football. They can't get out of their own way, right? The university can't get out of their own way. The team can't get out of their own way. Madison is a community. It's just a mess up there, right? And then you kind of expand that to a larger scope and see, well, really as a country, we can't get out of our own way either. And that maybe we don't deserve these nice things. Maybe we don't deserve Big Ten football or college football. And maybe really more to the point, we shouldn't be having them in the first place. Now, I say all that, you know, and I, I'm, I'll be excited for the game on Saturday, as excited as one could be after you lose the way that you did against Wisconsin and have a Purdue team coming in that I don't like that matchup even without Rondale Moore. But I'm still excited because it is a diversion in a time where we very sorely need that diversion. We really do. And I think some people at least have earned it by doing all the right things, and then they should be able to have the nice three-and-a-half-hour break on a Saturday to watch their football team play, even if they get their butt kicked. But in a way, it also kind of casts a cloud over the enjoyment of watching these games because we already knew it was weird, and we already knew that things could happen. But to have happened so soon, now it feels like every game we're watching might be the last one for a few weeks because the way this is set up, Wisconsin, they won't play against Nebraska. We know that. Will they play the week after that? If six players are already out 21 days, and there is probably a likelihood that more players are going to test positive in the coming days, then will they have enough to field the team? Or also, will Paul Chris be able to go for the next game? In other words, this is probably more than a one-week proposition, and this is not going to be the only campus in which this happens. So what about the Illinois game on Saturday? Illinois and Purdue, and uh, trying to kind of turn our gaze over to the actual game and not focus too much on these larger concerns that are swirling over every Big Ten football team right now. We did hear from Lubby and we heard from Rod Smith this week, and they both took accountability. And for that, I'm appreciative. Anytime that a coach will say, listen, we kind of stunk, that is something where you can say, okay, well, there's some humility there, and they recognize that they need to get better. And on the other hand, I'm kind of sick of hearing it because that's an acknowledgement that these guys all too often will find themselves after a game saying, well, we didn't coach well enough. Well, we didn't prepare the guys as well as we should have. When I'm thinking, well, wait a second. We had plenty of time to prepare for this Wisconsin game. We have a pretty old team here. This is not some young team full of a bunch of guys that are getting their first snaps. This is a team that has been intact, even with the new pieces, a team that has been intact long enough to be better than that. A team that should kind of know the rhythm of how practices go, that should kind of know what their coordinators are wanting to do. So on one hand, thank you, Lovey. Thank you, Rod Smith, for saying, hey, listen, we kind of stunk. I appreciate the honesty. On the other hand, I would also just appreciate a coaching staff that doesn't need to make those apologies and doesn't need to do so on a seemingly regular basis. And that is kind of where Illinois football has been at and why I'm concerned, even for a game against Purdue, that by all accounts is going to be a winnable game. Vegas would agree. I think that spread went in the single digits. And I'm half tempted to take it knowing how weird this team was last year 
where they could follow up a completely terrible performance like at Minnesota and then actually hold their own at home against Michigan. And not to do the transitive property game, but we know Michigan's far better, far more talented than the likes of Purdue. And strictly from a talent perspective, you are comparable to this Purdue team. Rondale Moore or not, right? I mean, that's a game breaker for sure. But as a collective, you should be on par with Purdue. But I'm not going to go so far as to say that talent-wise, you are better than they are. I'm not going to go so far as to say that because I think if anything we learned on Friday, there are those individual pieces, but collectively, this is still one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, or I should say in the bottom third in terms of talent. So as you enter this game on Saturday, Halloween, 11 a.m. kickoff, looks to be a beautiful day. It's going to be weird to watch a game and not even be in the lot for it. Because last year, I didn't go into many of the games for more than a half. It was much more, let's tailgate, and if it's a close game, sure, we'll go in. And hey, if that makes me a Fairweather fan, so be it. But to not even be in lot 31 is going to be odd. It's been a while since I haven't even bothered to go over to the lots at least and immerse myself in whatever the game day experience is. Instead, it will be a TV experience watching an empty Memorial Stadium. And yes, you can insert your own. Well, it's going to look like every other game day at Memorial Stadium. By the way, I got to give Twitter a lot of credit after Graham Mertz had tested positive for COVID-19. Within five minutes of that announcement, I probably could have counted 25 different tweets from whether it be other sports media types or just Illini fans saying, well, we didn't get within six feet of them anyways on Friday. So, hey, Illini fans, if anything, we are quick to the quick to the draw here on the easy jokes. Yes, you're quick on that. We'll get those again, I'm sure, when we see an empty stadium picture on Saturday. But it will be odd. It'll be odd to not be in the old house where I could have heard the fireworks when a touchdown is scored and feel that much more distant from what is going on. Now, if things go bad, right, this is where the distance isn't necessarily a bad thing. If this season goes to crap and this team is just bad, well, you know, you can kind of much more easier, I guess, wash your hands of it and say, well, it was a weird COVID-19 season and I really wasn't all that invested to begin with. But on the other hand, I need something Saturday to get me reinvested in this team. I need something to, at the very least, keep me interested, and that also me and Trevor and Harry and Isaac can talk about with some level of excitement, I guess, where we can actually watch the third and fourth quarter and say, well, look at that play. What do you like about the way this guy's performing? What do you think about the way Rod Smith is calling plays? We weren't able to do any of those sort of minutiae kinds of analysis on Friday because the game was already out of reach. It was over. And I got to think against Purdue that you will get more of a standard, traditional college football game where even if it's ugly, you're going to go to commercial breaks in the third and fourth quarter and know that when it comes back, you got a shot, right? You got a shot to win this. And that has to be the bare minimum, that if you are in year five of Lovey Smith, you need to very quickly prove that the Wisconsin game was an aberration and that that is not some sort of return to the Lovey Smith era of years one, two, and three, or let's be real certain games even in year four. We need to find out very quickly that the Wisconsin game, that was the exception. That was the aberration. And to do so, it can start on Saturday by a performance against Purdue that, if not as dominant as last year, and yeah, there were circumstances like the crappy weather, a lot of injuries for Purdue, a lot of things played into Illinois' hands that day. But at the end of the day, both teams had to play in a rainy field. Both teams had to play in that climate, and Illinois dominated. I loved watching that game. As ugly as it was, I loved watching that two-hour, 50-minute game where the run game 
got you where you needed to go, and the defense did their job. And ho-hum, we got, I think at that point it would have been four wins, and it was a great follow-up to that Wisconsin upset. This could be an equally good follow-up to that Wisconsin performance Friday night because merely by getting a win, right, looking like a serviceable football team, correcting so many of those things that we saw on Friday, we might actually be able to say, well, wait a second. Wisconsin might have just been simply out of your league, and then against the muck of the Big Ten West, you look like a decent team. There was one thought I had that gave me some solace, and let me start by saying I'm in no way comparing the 2001 Illinois team to this one. 2001, they made a Sugar Bowl. That was a really good team, but they did go to Michigan the fourth game of the year. 3-0. They had just gotten ranked after beating Louisville at home. They go to Michigan. They get their butts kicked. I think 45-17 or 45-20. That was a really good Illinois team. The game got away from them. Now, they at least scored on offense. We can't say that for this Illinois offense against Wisconsin. And there are far more concerns because Brandon Peters is no Kurt Kittner. And Josh Matterbebe is no Brandon Lloyd. And there isn't Walter Young and Greg Lewis and Aaron Moorhead at the wide receiver position. I'm pretty sure that your safeties are not Bobby Jackson and Muhammad Abdullah. You don't have a Eugene Wilson or even a Christian Morton at corner. Listen, I, I know all those factors are at play here. But in this Big Ten West, in this Big Ten West, knowing how good Wisconsin is probably compared to the rest, seeing Minnesota struggle like they did, uh, seeing Nebraska be, well, Nebraska, and Iowa lose on the road to Purdue, it makes you think, well, wait a second. Best case scenario is still about five wins for this team because of the competition. I don't expect that at all. In fact, I'm now much more expecting like a three and six year and at the end of it thinking, well, what the hell are we doing? But if there is to be a path to four or five wins, it must begin Saturday. There's not enough margin for error. And frankly, there's just not enough games to dig out of an 0-2 hole. And if you come out on Saturday and lose to this Purdue team and you look bad doing it, at that point, Man, you thought some people checked out Friday night, and I'm pretty sure they did. By the way, I think it was the fourth best viewed or fourth most viewed Big Ten game, which is good news, bad news. Good news that people care to watch, but bad news that they happen to watch that crap fest on Friday night. But with this game on Saturday, if you come out and lay an egg, then I do worry about the amount of fan interest from Illini fans, at least, going through the rest of this year. You will have solidified, if you come out and lay a stinker on Saturday, that you are one of the few worst teams in the Big Ten in a year where really there's no excuse to be that. In a year where you have had more continuity leading up to the start of the season than other football programs. In a year where you're doing everything right outside of the field to keep your guys healthy. And you got the protocols in place to get this thing done. And yet, when you get on the field, you're an embarrassment. That cannot happen. And we cannot continue to have press conferences where Lovey and Rod Smith take accountability, but essentially tell us they don't have the answers, or at the very least, they didn't have the answers going into that game. At this level, there are far too many functional, competent football teams for Illinois in year five under Lovey to not be one of them. It's not about being great. You know, my expectation was not for this team to be great. My expectation for this team wasn't even necessarily to be good, but in the Big Ten West, good enough. Now, you aren't going to put that on a poster, and sell a lot of tickets when you say, Illinois football, good enough. Or good enough for the Big Ten West. Now, nah, that's not going to fit on a poster. It's not really going to sell many tickets. But it would be realistic when you consider the roster that you have and the talent level of other teams in that middle of the pack of the Big Ten West. 
So at this point, because you went through four years with Lovey Smith, where they do not have the benefit of the doubt. As a coaching staff, they do not get the benefit of the doubt given their record and how many times they've looked bad on the field. That meant that this year, more than any other, they had to show us. They had to show us. COVID-19 pandemic or not, when we talked to Harry on Saturday, I will follow up with what he said last Friday. And frankly, I was just kind of too tired. And the game was over by that point. He was trying to be positive. And he may prove uh, to be correct here in saying that, listen, it's one game. It's a COVID-19 year. It's weird. You get to play Purdue next Saturday. That might have been the correct, uh, correct approach to take as opposed to my, oh, God, here we go again. But if this is another stinker for Illinois, I will ask him. Essentially, at one point, do we discard this idea that, well, it's a weird year, so let's give them a pass. I don't think many Illinois fans are giving this coaching staff a pass. In fact, if you were to gauge kind of the temperature on Twitter, and I I realize everyone's Twitter is kind of its own personal bubble, so I'm probably following different Illini figures than others. Let's just say David Thiessen isn't on my timeline anymore. But for the Illini fans I do follow, there is an overriding concern that this is a long-term issue that is not going to be fixed as long as Lovey is here. And all the fire Lovey or move on conversation, that died down as it should have when they made the bowl game. Because technically, that was mission accomplished. I could sit here and raise questions, and God knows I did, about whether or not this is viable long-term. But I also understood that, wait a second, mission accomplished. They made a bowl game. Let's go into year five, and let's see if they can make that next logical step. The next logical step, again, we are not asking for six and three. We are not asking for greatness or even good. We're asking for good enough. And I think even in a COVID-19 shortened year and all the impacts that's going to have, on the weirdness of this season, good enough is attainable. I think that's a fair expectation, right? Rod Smith is kind of uh, on notice here. And for someone that had a pretty good first year where you thought, well, this is interesting. I remember fielding text and fielding calls in Lubby's third year that if it got really bad, we'll just make Rod Smith the coach. Now, I thought that was kind of laughable then because I don't know if Rod Smith's been a head coach at any level. And I also try to caution people against falling in love with the coordinator in year one. We did it with Cubit. We did it with Rod Smith. Even on the defensive side, you could go back to Mike Cassidy with Ron Turner. Mike Cassidy came in 2001, I think taking over for Tim Kish. I think he'd been the D coordinator in 2000, maybe. But Mike Cassidy takes over and turns that defense into a pretty good one. You know, not great. They gave up some points, but they got takeaways. They were essentially bend, not break, and helped lead you to a Sugar Bowl. And yet it tailed off fairly quickly after that. So the first year of coordinators, we always get excited, right? Vic Koenig, same sort of thing. Amazing first year, strong start to the second year, and then it tails off. We see that there is a short shelf life for most coordinators. So when it makes you look at what Norm Parker, I think was the guy at Iowa that was there for decades. Bud Foster at Virginia Tech is the D coordinator. It makes you think, my God, like that is the aberration. You don't see that very much from coordinators because these guys are traveling here, there and everywhere. And then once someone else gets tape on them, it's game over. Well, I'm afraid that's what we got here with Rod Smith. And that even if it was a situation where he was maybe outthinking himself, getting too cute, getting in his own way, I don't have a lot of faith that this play calling is going to turn around so drastically that we're going to see a good offense, right? I don't think you go from as bad as you were against Wisconsin to all of a sudden, hey, I'm really enjoying watching this offense. The best you can probably hope for 
is a slight improvement over last year, not an exponential step forward. And I think there's a few reasons why. For one, Brandon Peters is kind of what he is. He will make the occasional play that makes you think, well, no wonder Michigan recruited him. Guy's got size. The guy has arm strength. He's mobile, surprisingly so. But then the playmakers, you know, Josh Madrababy is a nice piece. But, I don't know, you could do better as far as a go-to receiver. He's not really a game-breaker in terms of speed, right? The other wide receivers so far, just kind of collection of maybe possession guys. And you saw that Brandon Peters and maybe to an extent Rod Smith didn't feel all that comfortable with him in week one. At tight end, you like Daniel Barker. We finally get to see Daniel Amaterbebe on Saturday and hopefully a little bit of Luke Ford too. And then the running backs, you get an incomplete grade because, well, they had nothing to run through, which leads me to my biggest concern. The offensive line was very, very bad on Friday night. And not that that's a huge shock against a Wisconsin-level defense, but they got to be better. They just have to be. They're too old to be performing like that, even against the likes of Wisconsin or maybe later in the season, Ohio State. I would give them a get-out-of-jail-free card against Ohio State in November, but not against Wisconsin in the season opener when you've had all this time and you're in year three of Rod Smith. They got to be better. So you look across that offense and everything that we were kind of excited about, everything we thought, well, if this works and that works, we might have a good offense. They all performed pretty terribly up at Wisconsin. That might not go from terrible to great against Purdue, but it can go from terrible to serviceable. And that's my new expectation for the offense. Be serviceable. Be a little bit better than last year. Start converting third downs a little bit more. Take the next step of actually holding on to the ball for more than 20 minutes a game and not forcing a defense that is probably mediocre to begin with to be out there for 40 minutes. It's weird as I look back at that game on Friday night and talking with Jeremy on Monday, thinking about how the defense gave up 45 points and eventually just get kind of tired of that regardless of how many points were scored late in the fourth quarter. But at the same time, they were placed in a bad position. No defense for 40 minutes is going to be able to stay fresh. No defense for 40 minutes is going to be able to continue to force a top 15 offense off the field. That's just not going to happen. And as poorly as they may have done against Graham Mertz in that passing attack for Wisconsin, it did feel like their hands were kind of tied because every time they got off the field with a stop, they were back on within three or four plays. Not sustainable. Not sustainable for a defense predicated on turnovers that if you said, all right, Levy's defense, be out there for 28 minutes a game, I think you might be onto something. So it's almost like I'm not even asking Rod Smith's offense to score that many points, though anything more than zero would be nice, right? But hold on to the ball. For the love of God, if you're a ball control offense, start with that. Run the ball somewhat effectively. Convert some first downs. Begin with that before we start talking about big play potential. Because there was nothing going on Friday. Against Purdue, there's got to be something going. Just a little something. And if they were to find their way to, let's say, 24 points. <laughs> I about said 27. I thought, hold on a second. That ain't going to happen. It might. But let's say 24 points. I could see a situation where that offense holds the ball for half the game. Somehow, some way, They get 24 points just by virtue of Purdue's defense not being Wisconsin's defense. And you find your way to a 24-20 win against Purdue. I could see that. Unfortunately, I could also see a milder version of what we had up at Wisconsin, where the offense struggles out of the gate, a few three and outs. Purdue gets an early score, then they get a second. They're up 13-0 or something like that midway through the second quarter. And you just feel like the bottom's about to fall out. And unfortunately, in the Levy era, that has been a common theme. 
you know, we've had some great comebacks. The Wisconsin game you hung in there last year. Michigan State, you obviously did what you did in the second half. But for the most part, the biggest problem with the Lovey Smith era is that it's not like you're losing games late. We can't look back and say Lovey's been an unlucky coach. In fact, it's the opposite. You know, he's been pretty lucky in terms of takeaways, especially last year, helped you get to a six-win season. But a lot of these losses, you get down early, and you just kind of sit there for the next 60 minutes as the opponent just gradually expands their lead. And before you know it, it's 31 to 10. It's in the fourth quarter. And how did we get here? My goodness. It kind of just lulls you to sleep, right? I mentioned on Sunday, a far more frustrating podcaster. I guess I was far more frustrated than I realized when I started recording. And the entire Lovey Smith experience, let's call it, from Bears fandom to this. There is a fatigue element. There is this sense of having seen it time and time again and feeling like, well, this is even worse than before. The Bears were about a 500 team, a little bit better when Lovey was there. He was a pretty decent NFL coach when he considered the record and that he had some really good defenses. But from Tampa Bay to now, you do see a a noticeable decline in the quality of his team's performance. Outside of the fact that the defense we know is a bit archaic, right? It may or may not work long-term anymore. But more than that, just the overall performance of the team. Sometimes lethargic efforts. And that is that is surprising. If anything, if, if Lovey were to fail here, right? Like if you talked to me back in March 2016 after Lon and I get off the air that Saturday and someone comes up and says, listen, Lovey ain't going to work here. I would have said, you know what? You might be right because of the defense and that scheme. But I never would have predicted that that person would be right because Lovey's teams occasionally come out flat. That, that honestly, that didn't cross my mind because they didn't really do that with the Bears. They might have lost, but that was just because maybe they weren't as good as the other team or maybe the offense stunk. That happened quite a bit as a Bears fan. Still does. But Lovey's teams rarely did that. We're seeing that, though, at Illinois. We're seeing some lethargic performances. We're seeing some of those intangible things just not there, non-existent. And it is, it's racking up. You know, it's death by a thousand paper cuts, but it's worse than paper cuts. These games, these are three and a half hour slogs. College football, much as I love it, it is a marathon. It's Lawrence of Arabia every Saturday, but sometimes instead of Lawrence of Arabia, it's like one of those really crappy long movies. Uh, I don't know, one of those old biblical movies or something like that, that you get two hours into it and you're thinking, oh my God, will something happen? Please let something happen. And, and it doesn't sometimes. It actually often doesn't happen. Look at Lovey's record. That indicates it. Look at his record after year one. You know, Jeremy and I talked about this Monday about you could remove year zero, as Harry Black likes to call it. I'm kidding, of course. Harry hates that. You could remove year zero, and you still are really looking at a, a just a paltry performance for any Big Ten coach with any expectations, right? It doesn't matter. And what compounds it, of course, is seeing other coaches fairly quickly turn their programs into functional, competent programs and wondering, well, can Levy even get us to that point here? Consistent competence. Try to put that on a poster. Illinois football, consistently competent. Oh my God, I would be over the moon for something like that. It would be a realistic tagline that I think Illinois football can get to. Consistent competence. But we don't get that right now. So if it were to happen Saturday, here's the path that it needs to happen with. An offense that actually stays on the field. Scoring many points, I'm, I'll get to that part later. We'll, we'll let them score as they score. But for now, I just need third down conversions. I need the offense on the field about half of the game. 
I don't think that is a crazy thing to ask when you got a fifth-year quarterback and you got veteran playmakers and a veteran line. Don't think it's too much to ask them to just stay on the damn field. Let the defense rest a little bit so we can actually get a a gauge on how good they might actually be because the Wisconsin game may not have been a good indicator of that. Start with that and let's see what happens. Against Purdue, that alone will make it a competitive game. That alone will have you within reach of a win in the fourth quarter because Purdue ain't great. Purdue's fine. I expect them to beat Illinois on Saturday. Rondale Moore or not, I expect them to come in and just be the better team and be the better coach team. And I guess you could say revenge factor for last year's Mud Bowl. I don't know. But that's a team that just beat Iowa at home. And however down Iowa may be, that is a consistently competent football program, right? So what that tells me is that even without Brian Brom, or sorry, Jeff Brom, excuse me, not the other Brom, Jeff Brom not on the sideline, they were still able to beat Iowa. That's impressive. In any circumstance, that's impressive. I didn't give a score in Jeremy's podcast. Last week I said 34-24 Wisconsin. I was not buying the idea that Illinois would win, but I did think it was about a 20% possibility. How foolish of me to say 20. I should move the decimal place over and said 2% chance because apparently that was a more realistic prediction of Illinois' chances. But this is a game that should be a straight-up 50-50 game. I know there's no fans there, but you were still the home team. You get to wake up in your own bed on Saturday and walk to your own stadium. There's no travel component. All those little things still matter. And when the game actually starts, the talent disparity should not be much at all. I mean, I really don't think there's much of a talent gap here if you look at these two teams. So when you consider those things and the fact that you need to win more than Purdue needs to win right now, you got to get it. You need to get that win on Saturday. I'm hoping, hoping beyond hope, that when we do that 200 level, we can have some fun with it. Get to one and one. Enjoy the rest of your Halloween and watch Big Ten football knowing that your team is not the worst team in the Big Ten. But if you lose to Purdue, and if you lose in an ugly fashion, then that conversation needs to be had. Are you the worst team in the Big Ten? Michigan State, seven turnovers in their first game. They are in the short list there, right? Maryland, they're in the short list. But that's the first year of Mel Tucker coming into a bad situation in Michigan State. That's the, uh, well, I about said first year for Mike Loxley. He calls it year one. I think he said something like that after their loss to Northwestern. But no, it's year two for Mike Loxley, still in a rebuilding process after the whole Durkin fiasco. They have built-in excuses. Just like we gave Lovey that built-in excuse for years one, two, and to a large extent, year three. But year five has got to matter here. Nine games or not, non-conference or not, it has to matter. I've talked before about how I don't even think 0-9 would move the needle in terms of making that move because I don't know what the financial realities are facing this athletic department or any similarly sized athletic department. And I don't envy Josh Whitman for being in that position. On the other hand, though, this was his prize guy, and if it fails miserably this year, if they go even 2-7, and seven, if they go 3-6 and six and look bad doing it, in any other year, you would make that move. And it would be a very deflating feeling to think that, well, we would have made the move except for the realities of our finances. That would be a bitter pill to swallow. And as we go in this long winter, and God knows it's going to be a long, crappy winter with COVID, and <laughs> it's going to suck. Let's just call it what it is. I don't want it to be compounded, as silly as it sounds. I don't want this to be compounded by the fact of going into another Illinois offseason thinking, well, what's the point? 
And really, if this is an offseason where you go into it after a bad season, three and six, two and seven, oh and nine, which I don't anticipate oh and nine, but let's just say, let's just say, and you can't make a move and you got to sit on this crap for nine months until you hope you can actually go attend a game next year. Talk about the air just being sucked out of it. Not that it was like a fully inflated hot air balloon after they lost to Cal in the bowl game. It wasn't. I know Bob Osmussen wrote some platitudes about Brandon Peters and what this offense could do. And you know what? He's not alone. I know Jeremy was high in this offense. And kind of by virtue of other guys talking about it, it was difficult to not get excited at the potential of what this offense could do and then just hoping the defense would be merely okay. But in defense of Bob and Jeremy and anyone that actually put some expectations on this team, that is how it should be in year five. Maybe we shouldn't be talking about Brandon Peters Heisman, right? But we should be talking about a successful season and a good offense. And that Lovey's defense, they're going to just do what they did last year, get a bunch of takeaways, right? That, that's their MO. At least they have an identity. I will give them that. They got another defensive score against Wisconsin. They got an identity. Rod Smith, not so much. But there should be expectations this year. We should not be moving that bar anymore. You either put up or shut up. It is a show-me year for Lovey Smith, given all the circumstances, and the beauty of it is that you can turn the tides effective Saturday. If you beat Purdue, if you beat Purdue, you have a Minnesota team coming in with a bad defense. Bad. I know that was Michigan, but do not expect that Minnesota defense to improve drastically. They lost a bunch of guys from last year, and they'll, they'll put up points. There's no doubt. That's still a good program that P.J. Fleck has built up there, but let's say you beat Purdue. Let's say you beat Minnesota. Okay, well then, holy crap, you're 2-1, and one, and you're starting to beat the teams in these toss-up matchups. And very quickly, that Wisconsin game can become a distant memory. Very quickly. The opportunity's there. Will they take it? I'm skeptical. So, okay, I said give it a score. Um, if Illinois were to win, I'll give you a score if Illinois were to win. I, I think it'd be like 24-20. to 20. Ugly game. Take the under, whatever that under may be. I have this weird sense that it's going to be a low-scoring game if Illinois wins because we're talking about maybe complementary offense. Just keeping the defense off the field so they can go and get a takeaway or three for the 28 minutes that the defense has to be out there. That's one path I see for Illinois getting to victory. Not necessarily a shootout because I don't buy this offense turning the tides that quickly from the Wisconsin game. Going from zero points to what? 38 or something like that. You also have the advantage of Rondale Moore likely not playing. That could change, of course. And the longer the season goes, though, and Rondale Moore doesn't play, he should probably just stay put. That guy's going to be making a lot of money. He doesn't need to get re-injured or something. But unfortunately, the way I see this game kind of shaking out is a quiet Saturday Memorial Stadium, well, obviously, where Purdue takes an early lead, 10-0, 13-0, offense still having a hard time getting something going, and then before you know it, you lose to Purdue something like 31-17. to 31-20 maybe. You get a garbage touchdown late. I don't know. That is what I foresee. And I say that because even though last year's team showed the ability to move on from a bad loss and come back and perform much better the week following, I, I don't want to overstate that though. right? I don't want to say that last year's team all of a sudden because they won six games was necessarily a good team. The offense was not good. The defense got a ton of defensive scores, but when they weren't getting those, that was not a good defense. Fine, I guess, but not good. It took a lot of luck to get them where they were. 
This year, I was hoping that the extra year, the older players could offset that luck factor. Well, maybe you don't get all the takeaways you got in year four, but you know what? You're older, you're better, you can overcome that. Friday night against Wisconsin showed that that might not be the case. And that you might need to go back to that old template of, all right, Lovey's defense, get four takeaways, get one score, and then offense, I don't know, put it together somehow. We'll see what happens. But I'm predicting Purdue to win this game on Saturday in a sleepy affair. But as a fan, give me interesting. And you know what? Being Halloween and a holiday that I really enjoy, give me the cherry on top. Give me an Illini win, even though I don't expect it. And then that way we can go into Sunday and we can go into next week and break down a Minnesota game that is winnable right? It still technically is. There's a lot of games on the schedule that are still technically winnable. And you may not be favored in any of them, but they are winnable. So in year five, start winning them. Excited to get back uh, Saturday morning. We will have the full crew. We'll start in the second half at some point and hoping it's a close game where we can do basically the entire second half. But Trevor and Harry and Isaac will be on board. And uh, yeah, it's looking to be a beautiful fall day. And there is nothing better, you know, as I talk about Bears Sundays, if they get a win on Sunday against the Saints, the rest of the day is better. If the Illini win on Saturday, the rest of the day is better. And personally, I like these 11 a.m. games because you can get it out of the way. And if you win, you get more time to enjoy. And if you lose, you got more time to just forget about it and do something else. Well, we get that opportunity on Saturday, and I hope that this team makes the most of it. Because if not, the season could turn south in a hurry and that's that sounds kind of silly as it comes out of my mouth like it didn't already turn south after losing 45 to 7 against wisconsin but let's just say it could turn even souther is that a word more south it could turn uglier and as much as i want resolution right i would prefer that josh whitman can make a decision about lovey smith's future without them having to go oh and nine like we don't we don't need that much. I don't want to feel completely hopeless and say, well, at least they moved on from Lovey Smith, but they did go 0-9 and this football program is going to suck for another five years. I don't want that drastic of a measure. You know, I've always been someone that says, just give me resolution. Don't give me purgatory. Don't keep me in limbo about where this program is. Uh, and, and you know, you would hope that a bad three and six would be enough to force Josh Whitman's hand if it came down to it. Um, but <laughs> let's, let's not even broach that, right? I th- we will have plenty of time to broach the possibility of this team completely laying an egg for the entire season. But for the time being, we'll see you Saturday. I'm excited to get back to it. Um, trying to think if there's anything else here. You know, when I start these podcasts, it's difficult to know if any other breaking news is going to come. So I'm just going to check Twitter real quick and make sure that no other Big Ten teams came down with a COVID outbreak and that, in fact, we're going to get every other game in. And uh, let's see, I'm, I'm not really seeing much of anything. So that's good news, right? Nothing else in terms of um, college football getting postponed or anything like that, but we'll see, right? Because every time I put a podcast up, I know Jeremy runs into this situation with his Alana Inquirer podcast. He puts one up and then the news breaks. We didn't talk about Bryce Hopkins. As I've said before with Illinois basketball, until they strike out on every 2021 recruit, I'm not freaking out, but they do need to maybe get that mojo back. Hopefully basketball does, in fact, start November 25th. These tournaments getting postponed in Orlando had me a little bit leery, but I would hope that Illinois, with the testing protocol that they have here, the structure that they have, they could bring teams in, have them come in the night before, 
give them a couple tests before they set foot on that State Farm Center court and somehow get a non-conference in. But it might be a situation where we're approaching conference-only basketball. That seems to be a fluid situation as well. But we'll get into that as news actually breaks. In the meantime, before we let you go, reminder, DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Use coupon code MIKE for $5 calzones, $6 premium in construction zones. If you've had DP Doe, you know that is a ridiculous deal. Why not order it for lunch? During the Illinois-Purdue game, you get a nice halftime treat of a DP Doe calzone, and they will deliver it anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So if you take down a few whiskey drinks before halftime on Saturday, hey, if morning drinking's your thing, that's fine. I'll be half tempted to do the same. But you can get the calzone delivered to you, $5 calzones, coupon code Mike at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200level or the 200level for 10% off your order. Check out their swag. It's terrific. I'm going to be rocking my big guy Illini football t-shirt again on Saturday. That's fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Got our homeowners and auto from him. Easy process, super seamless, and uh, someone you can trust. And you need to be able to do that for insurance. So that is brianismyguy.com for State Farm agent Brian Hansen. Illini Inquirer, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Appreciate all the ratings and reviews. If you got time to drop us a line on Apple Podcast, it is a big help. Drop us a five-star review or a one-star review if you just want to have some fun with it. Either way works. And uh, other than that, follow us uh, on Twitter at the 200 level or follow me on Twitter at fanboycarp if you aren't already. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy. Don't get COVID if you can help it. Don't be like Graham Hurts or Paul Christ. We'll see you on Saturday. It is the 200 level.